Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanin Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we got another dope show ready in the chamber, ready to blast off today. I cannot wait to get into it. We did not do this last week, but oh my goodness. never fret. We are going to give you two weeks worth of energy. Did y'all miss us? I hope so. <laughs> I I hope so. Uh, be, because I know that some people inbox me and was like, I need my news, man. I need it. I need I need my news. Uh, so we are giving you these headlines. We have a great one lined up for you today. We have some information coming out of Los Angeles and what that means for the black community. And 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 typically. Um, I really saw this during the pandemic that when something happens in a larger city, you know, we usually see those trends happen in in, in the smaller cities uh, two, three months later. Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, we have some information coming out of Los Angeles. Also, um, feisty spices uh, taking over for the nine nine and two thousand. I cannot wait to. Get into uh, this, this one. black woman-owned mm. spice brand, and so much excitement. Yes, yes, and how you can buy it and uh, put some extra spices. I've on already been on the website. I've already been on season. the website. Really? Because when you send me these stories, I'd be like, what, <laughs> what can I buy? Yeah. <laughs> Rich auntie status. That's me. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and then also uh, the Senate, the Pennsylvania Senate passes a bill mandating armed school security officers in Pennsylvania schools. Uh, so now this goes to the Democratic-controlled House. Uh, so we're going to peel back the layers of that headline and so much more. Folks, this is the Medellin Report. We have our cousin of the show, Dr. Kamika Campbell. What hey, is going on? Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Yeah, we're hanging out. Um, it's been a whirlwind the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm just trying to whew, catch myself, as yeah. they say. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Uh, we had our Juneteenth kickoff last night. Hey, week. yes, yes, <laughs> that was that was glorious. That was real nice. Yeah, yeah, it was indeed. <laughs> it was a real nice time. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. Yes, it was. Just to let you all know, if 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 Dr. K is 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 not her full self today, uh, she just had leg day. It was leg day. <laughs> so um, I walked into the stu- into the into WITF like. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Marquise, I'm about to die. <laughs> I was walking slow and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I highly doubt it because you know Dr. K always brings 110, especially when we get into these stories. Yes, indeed. Okay? Yes, yeah. indeed. So let's not uh, hold anything back any longer. Let's get into these headlines. And our first story comes out of the Atlanta Black Star. Chase Bank seizes Atlanta woman's $5,000 student loan refund, mm, mm, accuses mm. her of fraud, and shuts down her account. <laughs> Let's get into it. An Atlanta woman says that she is currently homeless after her bank snatched her U.S. government-issued student loan check, claiming it was fraudulent. The woman is now in debt because the over $5,000 that she planned to pay wow. bills with has been frozen and the bank is refusing to give her back the money what? until an investigation is completed. According to Lois White, she used her mobile device to deposit a $5,298 check from the U.S. government for student loan relief into her Chase Bank account. Mm. The check also included a portion from the treasurer for overpayments that she made. She had hoped to use the money to pay off some bills, but the financial institution thought the deposit was fake and put not only a fraud hold on the check, but also on her bank account. Oh my she was goodness. unable to spend or withdraw any of her money. She tells WSBTV that she feels like a criminal and that she's done, she feels like she's done something wrong, but she actually didn't. It was an actual check from the government, but an issue came up that set off alarms from the bank. Apparently, they couldn't verify this check was real, she explained, after paying off her federal student loan for the last two decades. 
So, banking while black folks, uh, this is this is a real thing, and oh yes, and around uh, uh, this whole student loan issue and everything like that. When I was going to Morgan State, I had this issue with Bank of America. This was one of the reasons why I shut down my Bank of America account oh, yeah. mm-hmm. because they froze my account for two weeks. Yes, froze my account for two weeks. Because I too um, 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 uh, d- d- deposited it, it was uh, like a um, a seven eight thousand dollar check. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, like this is Baltimore. I'm pretty sure people deposit more than seven eight thousand dollar checks. So like, why am I getting? What is happening here? Right, and two weeks. Like that's a long time. Oh my gosh! Yes. When everybody says you need to have a bank account, right? Yeah, like that's exactly. A long, long time. Yeah, indeed. So, what are your thoughts on this, Doctor K? I'm, I'm I'm scrolling through my TikTok trying to find the video I made on this very subject mm. um, in 2022, probably, um, because this has been an ongoing issue with with J P Morgan Chase for several years. Oh wow! Um, they have done this to doctors, football players, athletes. Mm. Um, uh, business folks and all of them have been black. And what is interesting about it is they never they they always scream security measures. They never are they never seem to be at fault. Um, there have been a couple doctors that have sued them. There could be a couple a couple of people that have sued them over this issue. And um, one of the things, even when they go when people are going into the branches mm-hmm. with the actual check. They will not. They will sometimes refuse to cash the check. That's wild. Even though they're bringing them the physical check. That is right? wild. Um, this happened to I forget who that was. Was that um, Chance the Rapper? I think that was Bank of America. But it's been a big issue with a lot of these these branches, um, these these bigger banks too. Mm-hmm. They don't have security measures that are serving Black and Brown folks for whatever reason. And it is harming people more than it is helping whatever these security measures are. And in a lot of cases, there is not recourse. That's that's the big issue. There's not recourse. Um, I can't find the TikTok, but it was um, I'll find it and link it on the episode at some point. But there was um, uh, an athlete, a pretty well-named athlete. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. cash his check. Um, A doctor who had gotten a bonus check for signing on as a doctor in Atlanta. And there was also the third story I had was um, a woman who uh, what was what was her her there was a, was a, was one more story in that in that vein where this woman tried to cash this check um, and she was also turned away. But what's even more interesting to me is that um, this same J P Morgan Chase had pledged thirty billion dollars, thirty billion dollars mm-hmm. to. Um, review its financial uh, policies or internal policies and 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 procedures to try and, and eradicate some of these seemingly um, race-based issues or issues that they maybe didn't know were race-based or didn't intend to be race-based but ended up affecting black and brown people more than anyone else. Mm. And they still have not done that. They haven't used that pledge and they have not um, started... As of as of late last year, they haven't started that process to review um, their procedures to see how they're affecting black and brown people internally. And what's funny about that is when you dig deeper into the reason why they're unable to do this is because it would it's it's too laborious and it's too much paper, the paperwork, (sighs) of course, and they would have to go through every single um, every single procedure that they have, every single form, every single everything, every single algorithm, mm. you know, whatever's affecting their banking, whatever the online banking and mobile banking, whatever's affecting whatever procedures their tellers are following that would cause them to think such a high number of people who are black and brown that their checks are bad um, and refusing, even when they verify the checks are good, mm-hmm. they're holding people up for hours at these yeah. branches. Yeah. Um, much less if you try to deposit something um, mobile and you have no, you didn't even have a face-to-face interaction, they're able to just be like, nah, it's not good. Bye. Yeah. Um, and so this this is something that I think, um, <laughs> I have so many bad words for them because it's <laughs> been <laughs> happening for such a long time. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm hoping that I'm hoping that one. I, I've been saying this for a long time. People need to divest. People need to divest from the JP Morgan Chases, mm. from these big banks. They need to go with black-owned banks, banks that understand the situations, banks where they can keep their money safely. Yeah. Um, I don't suggest Russell Simmons Bank, but others um, <laughs> <laughs> that they can do, uh, that they can, you know, uh, they can uh, put their money. Because one of the things that we know, and here I go back in my bag about slavery, but one of the things <laughs> that we know about the post um, slavery age and the post-emancipation age, and I wouldn't even say post-emancipation, really post-slavery, is that um, economic uh, the, the economic disadvantages for black folks is they couldn't bank at these big banks. Mm. J.P. Morgan Chase is not a new bank. Yeah, Bank of America, not, not a new bank. bank. Yeah. And so to me, this is just a, a, a clear thread, a clear connection, no matter how much they try to do. They are going to be suspicious of black and brown folks because that is their history. That's their yeah. legacy. Yeah. And that is terrible. And if y'all don't want to change that, people need to divest from you. A lot of these companies, a lot of these big banks, they depend on black and brown money, mm. their day-to-day transactions to make their banks work. It is not um, only the big money in these banks because yeah. that money they can't really touch because it's sitting um, in a in an account gaining interest and um, but the, these day to day transactions is what they depend on mm. to overcharge you, to charge you late fees, yeah. to charge you overdraft fees, to charge you every other kind of fee so they can make their money. So I think people need to divest from banks like J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America. Um, I keep saying them over and over, but there are many other ones mm-hmm. that um, folks need to divest from because they're not they're not going to treat you right. They have a history of not treating you right. Like Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. They have a history of discriminating against black and brown folks. Yeah. And the little changes they're making are not enough of a drop in the bucket. Right. They're not even a drop in the bucket. Right. They're spitting into the wind. <laughs> 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 right. With these little silly changes. Yeah. Um, that aren't benefiting black and brown folks, even though these are the people, these are the poor people they are charging and overdrafting and making money off of every single day. Indeed. Indeed. So before we go to our next story, uh, here are some uh, statistics for you. Uh, compared to the national average, low income households are four times more likely to be unbanked. Yep. Black households are two and a half times more likely to fall into this category. And uh, for black households, the barrier uh, for access for banks, check this out, branches tend to be further away from their homes. And in some areas, black households, demand for banks was even higher than among white households. And this finding counters previous speculation that black households' uh, lower bank use might be driven by lower demand. The results point to, if anything, it's the opposite direction. That part. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the other demand is uh, perhaps uh, these groups are less inclined or able to use banks uh, because, for instance, they have less capacity to save or don't trust the institutions. Uh, that is coming up. Not true. Uh, so mm-hmm. our next. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Just uh, one more. <laughs> one more uh, statistic uh, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. you. Um, according to a 2008 report from the Economic Policy Institute. Um, banks gave 52.9% of subprime mortgages to black customers, while Surprise. only 26.1% to white customers. And studies have shown that credit worthiness can't account for these disparities. And in 2020, the New York Times reported instances of racial profiling when black customers perform mundane bank transactions. Bilking black Poor black and brown people out of their money is a billion, trillion dollar business. It's big business. So not surprised. They use credit scores to tell you that they have to charge you more for everything. Yeah. On to our next story. All right, our next story comes out of Black Enterprise and how fentanyl 
hit Los Angeles black community by becoming yeah. the deadliest drug in 2022. Mm. Uh, now, there has been this uh, running running joke. Well, not running joke. This running theme, I'll say, that, oh, fentanyl, this is white people drug. This is white people yeah. drug. This is white people um, epidemic. Yes. Um, uh, this is, is proving us, um, proving those that have made those statements uh, otherwise. So let's dig into it. Fentanyl has attacked the United States with a vengeance, but for the African-American community in Los Angeles, it took lives in 2022 at a higher rate than any other racial group. Wow. The drug killed 1,910 L.A. County residents in 2022, beating out methamphetamine as the lead cause of overdoses. Data, according to L.A. County's Public Health Department, showed a rise of 13 percent in fentanyl deaths compared to 2021. That number went up 1,652 percent from the 109 deaths first recorded in 2016. If that's not alarming enough, health officials are paying close attention to how those numbers are tied in with racial disparities. Black residents made up 21 percent of deaths in 2022, but only 8 percent of Los Angeles County's population. Oh, my goodness. Substance abuse researcher and assistance professor at UCLA's David Geffen School of Medicine, David Goodman Mesa, thinks the numbers are surprising, especially from the black community. Mm. He says it, it, it's really striking what the rates are now for black individuals dying of fentanyl. Unfortunately, because of systematic racism, the black individuals suffer in Los Angeles County. They tend to live in more marginalized communities and they are less likely to access services. So fentanyl deaths were prominent in white residents when it first arrives at alarming rates. Um, 2016, seven years later, people of color are dying at increasing rates. In 2019, black and white residents tied at dying from fentanyl overdoses at a rate of 7.2 people per 1,000 residents. Wow. By 2022, the deadly drug hit black communities the hardest with 49.5 deaths per 100,000 residents, about twice as many as white fatalities. Yeah. So... We are um, seeing that uh, that that this myth, um, uh, well, the statement that has been going on uh, for for years now, uh, we're seeing that this is hitting the black communities um, hard. Uh, it, it, it's hitting disenfranchised communities hard. And what what the article pointed out was that these folks may not. Or simply do not have the same kind of services to be sent off to That's right. to to a nice uh, facility mm-hmm. to be uh, uh, sent off and and have their families support where you can go to rehab you know and 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 it's not like rehab is one of those things where you go once boom you're cured and everything is fine good and you continue your life rehab is this you know process where you right. have to reshape yourself reshape your life reshape your mindset and it may take 3 or 4 times you may fail 3 4 Absolutely. 5 6 times in in rehab and, and 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 even with said services i don't know if those services are still going to be available for those folks that show up the 7th eighth, ninth time, yes. ninth time, even though they still need that support just as much as those coming for the oh, first absolutely. time. absolutely. One of the things that people don't realize, too, is that um, the DEA just did, when was this? I don't want to say just, but they just issued, they have issued, I, shouldn't, I don't know when the date is, they don't date them as I, I would like, a public safety alert um, <clears throat> uh, to let folks know that six out of ten Fentanyl-laced fake prescription pills now contain a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl. Wow. So the street drugs are a huge problem because you think you are getting one drug Mm -hmm. and you are getting a fentanyl-laced drug that can kill you. Yeah. And this is huge in black and brown communities. People are taking um, uh, Adderall off the street. They're taking so many different kinds of pills off of the street, thinking they are pure pills, and they are not. Um, There was a 
there are they're, they're stating that these pills are largely made by two Mexican drug cartels, especially if they're coming to the United States. Um, and they, they include Oxycontin, Percocet and Xanax. Mm. And they're often deadly. Um, and uh, there are many other types of pills we actually had in our community. Um, we had 18 deaths in our county um, that were reported earlier this year within a space of about three or four weeks because there was an influx of these um, fentanyl-laced drugs on mm-hmm. the street. Wow. Um, so in, a, in addition to not having the um, rehab Sometimes you have taken something that you don't know is fentanyl because you are not aware of what these street drugs are cut with. And that has been a huge, huge issue um, in communities, especially in poor communities, especially in black and brown communities. The other issue with this, too, is fentanyl, things like the opioid pandemic, the fentanyl pandemic. These things are hitting the black and brown communities later because systematically people were kept from certain kind of drugs in mm. the medical system. Yeah. So now that they're flooding the streets, now we're seeing the effects of them on the black and brown communities and how deadly it is because n- now they have access to those drugs. Yeah. Um, this is this is not nothing is clearer to to this issue than the um than the opioid pandemic and it almost not mirrors but it it follows a similar path to what's happening with fentanyl. Fentanyl was really big in white communities for yeah. a long time. Yeah. And the dosages were never clear. People were dying at concerts. Mm-hmm. People, their, the MDMA was laced with fentanyl. The all the the everything was laced with fentanyl, and people didn't know. Yeah. So now that these drugs are um, migrating, I, I guess you can call it a migration. Um, and it, the migration also happens with education. So when communities become aware, they're going to rehab. They're doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they are getting to know that the drugs that are coming from certain places are laced with certain things. Um, they're they're not using those drugs anymore. So you need new communities within which to push these drugs. Push these drugs. So what what better than the communities that were kept out, away from those drugs in the first place? Well, you they we don't have a lot of our our. <laughs> I, I I chuckle because when the one of the city leaders was reporting out about the fentanyl overdoses, fentanyl-laced drugs overdoses that were happening mm-hmm. um, because people were taking these drugs thinking it was something else. Um, they said, you know, before you overdose, call us. That's <laughs> how it And that's a real statement. Like, oh. you know, don't, don't overdose. There's a better way. That's not how overdoses work. Right, right, right. And it's such a poor, ah, a poor everything, a yeah. poor city planning approach, a poor health approach, tone a poor deaf. everything. So tone deaf. Because if you don't if you don't understand and get at the root of the problem, um, you aren't going to be able to affect. You won't be able to save any lives. Right. You won't be able to affect any change. Um, and so it's also a huge, huge failing on our, our our leaders, our elected officials' parts for them not grasping what is happening, how these things are flowing into the community. It's also a huge. And I'm gonna go all the way over here. Also, a huge failing on these police departments who do not stop crime, especially in many of these black and brown neighborhoods. Mm. They are not they are reactive to crime. They are reactive to drug issues in the community. They are not proactive at all. And so they're fighting about this, about these things much later than people on the ground in the communities or they are paid off. Pennsylvania. I was just talking about this with a friend. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania is a huge drug-moving, central Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. Luzerne County, is a huge drug-moving apparatus in the Northeast. And people don't know. The old coal mines, Mm -hmm. honey, the old coal mines, there are all different kind of drugs moving through as as passageways for drugs throughout this this region Mm -hmm. and going out into different places all around the Northeast. Oh, wow. And those, those coal mines, they, somebody's paid off because... When a drug raid is about to happen, they go and they raid these drugs, and the the places that they said they the drugs were empty. Oh wow! So, it is not just rehab; it is not just even overdosing. It's how the drugs are allowed to move into certain communities. Mm-hmm. It is how it's all. It all has to work together. We have to know. We have to get people to stop using street drugs. That's a big thing. Like you can die, and it is a high probability that you can die. Yeah. Um, 
do not do not believe it if it if it doesn't come from a pharmacy where you can track that drug do not use it mm-hmm. and if you are having an issue where you cannot live without the drug you have to go to rehab yeah um but th- these are not things that people are this is not taken it's not just not taken seriously that's not what i want to say but there's not enough emphasis there's not enough cam- educational campaigns there's not enough emphasis in city planning there's not enough emphasis in county planning. I think our county it does a better job, and they take up a lot for the municipalities who have no planning whatsoever surrounding it. Um, but, yeah, I, I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we go to our, our next story, um, <clears throat> just, some, just some stats. Uh, fentanyl is taking over other cities and states. In Michigan, fentanyl overdoses have doubled in the past five years, going from 23.8 deaths per 100,000 population in 2017 to 47.6 deaths per 100,000 in 2021. And in 2021, in Louisiana, recorded close to... 2,463 overdose deaths, largely blamed on fentanyl, equaling out to about 95% of all overdose deaths. So this is a serious matter. And I have one other thing I want to say about this. This is from the DEA. Fentanyl remains the deadliest drug drug threat facing the country. It's highly addictive. It's a synthetic opioid. And it is 50 times more potent than heroin. Sheesh. It is 100 times more potent than morphine. Wow. And just two milligrams, milligrams, milligrams of fentanyl, the small amount, that small amount, it fits in the tip of a pencil. Wow. So we're not talking about large amounts of fentanyl, which would obviously be deadly, but very small Small. amounts of fentanyl. can. That's why you can lace any drug with it. That's why people don't know, they can't ascertain. Right. And that is why you should not be using street drugs. It can hide in any drug. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to our next story. <clears throat> All right. Our next story comes oh, yes. from Blavity. You know, this is uh, something a little bit more uplifting uh, from, from our last story, which is so disappointing. Yes. Uh, so... Feisty Spices, a black woman-owned spice brand, is now sold in Walmart and other stores. Glad to hear it. Erica Gillespie, founder of the black woman-owned brand Feisty Spices, was inspired by her grandmother's Southern Alabama cooking and cultural Gahinian roots to create a line of seasonings that celebrated her culinary heritage. After years of hard work, her products, including the collard green spice blend and the chitlin spice blend, are now sold in Walmart and other retail stores. And according to Black Business, Gillespie is a distant cousin of the late legend Dizzy Gillespie. Ooh, I love that. Fancy. She started her culinary journey after watching her grandmother in the kitchen using different spices to make classic dishes. And in 2020, she launched Feisty Spices in Atlanta. And five months later, she received her first $30,000 purchase order from a well-known grocery chain willing to distribute her products in stores wow. nationwide. Yes, Gillespie was passionate about creating a brand for consumers to enhance their cooking skills. She believes in using healthy ingredients to combat health issues like heart disease, diabetes, and high blood pressure. Several of her products are low-sodium, keto-friendly, and contain no MSG per black business. Feisty Spices isn't just seasoning. It's a culinary necessity, Gillespie says. And uh, in addition to the collard green seasoning and the gourmet chitlin seasoning, Mm. Gillespie also offers the following spices. Soul Food Sunday seasoning, Sassy Saison seasoning, lemony lemon pepper seasoning, and garlic and herb seasoning. And all Feisty Spices products can be bought via Walmart's marketplace in the U.S. and Mexico. The products can also be purchased on Amazon Prime from the Feisty Spices website in pick and save grocery stores in Alabama and in various stores across Atlanta. And she says she will continue to create unique blends in hopes of providing healthier options for cooks across America that don't compromise flavors. I am here for it. I'm here for all of it. I am uh, going to try the uh, 
the chitlin season. I'm just playing. I, I, <laughs> I'm not trying to chitlin seasoning, but I. That soul food Sunday is looking popular. Yo, yo, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and that collard green seasoning. Yes. I, I might just have to give give that a try. They also uh, got popcorn seasoning, the ooh. caramel and cream. I'm with it. Like I was told you, I was on the website. I was already picking <laughs> things out. I am so excited. Already about in it. the cart. Oh yes. <laughs> I was like, what else can we get? They got stuff on sale. Yes. They got everything. They have a um, variety box, ooh. which I'm really, really yeah, here for. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, this this really re- reminds me of uh, the, the the folks that I interview uh, during the Melanin Report. Uh, that that are doing these great things on a smaller scale, and it's just like yo. Yeah. Once you all link with you know link with that Target, link with that Walmart, link with that local um, uh, restaurant or that local market, like this is going to explode your product. I think that this is honestly the next frontier Agreed. of 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 black business of of micro black businesses where now. It, it's it's not just this you know straight the customer kind of thing. Not that they're going to get rid of that, right? But now there's this whole distribution aspect yes. where they're they're doing it on such a larger scale. Uh, there's this lady that I can't wait to have on the show um, that 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 makes tomato sauce uh, and and her t- tomato sauce black lady um, t- t- tomato sauce. Is is a nationwide brand, yeah. and and she sells it to um, uh, supermarkets nationwide, yeah. and and she had to end up getting like a little micro factory to to, to make this yeah. a, 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 exactly. And, and I'm I'm looking at her, and this is somebody that liked her mom's tomato sauce and just decided to use the recipe because she passed, sold it to some friends, and now. Like she has a whole absolutely factory situation, mm-hmm. you know. So again, I see this as um, as as the next frontier. How about yourself? This is also okay. So Walmart, Amazon, the places where these spices are sold, are very controversial businesses. Mm. Big, 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 big evils to some people. Yeah. Big benefits to others. They, you know, it's got a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. But they change the game in a very specific way. Before the the Amazons of the world, the Amazon before Amazon, <laughs> and before even even Walmart changed the way they do, they did things because of Amazon. Mm-hmm. Before Amazon, Amazon had a, an, a program. They still have it, but it was a when it was new, where you as a seller could get on there and sell anything, mm-hmm. anything at all. And black and brown folks found a way to sell products that traditional grocery stores would not even pick up. Yeah. And so watching Walmart, watching Target, even tar- Target is still a hard market to break into. Target mm-hmm. is still hard to break into. But watching Walmart and and Amazon embrace, and I know why they're doing it. They're embracing black and brown uh, retailers and, and food sellers and, and, and creatives even um, because it's good for business. It's good mm-hmm. for them. It's good for their bottom line. Yeah. But it has changed the landscape of how black and brown people get into a Weiss. Yeah. How they get into a Kroger. Right. How they get into these different grocery stores, a Wegmans across the country that traditionally did not accept these kind of new brands um, without an extreme amount of vetting. Yeah. Like I remember looking for in the um, international section, the the only thing you you saw in international sections for a long, long time were... um, Goya, a couple of um, um, Far East Indian brands, um, and then a a plethora of uh, American-based brands trying to sell you international foods. Mm. Now, when you go into the international food section, you're seeing true traditional brands from those countries that are now able to be imported into the U.S. and actually get onto our shelves. Why? Amazon. You could get it on Amazon. Mm. Um, it was very expensive, but you could get it on Amazon. Yeah, um, you could get it off of these smaller retailers who were put retailers who were putting up websites trying to hawk their own their own stuff or bring um, bring in these these brands from uh, different places. And there's a lot more to that. That's it's not as linear as I'm making as I'm making it sound, mm-hmm. but um, definitely comp- especially Amazon made it easier. There used to be a Black Amazon app 
don't know what happened to it, but they used to have a lot of stuff on there. Um, but I don't even know what happened to that. A black <laughs> so, Amazon yeah, app. Ooh. Yeah, it was like Blamazon or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I forget the name of it now. All right. So uh, before we go to our our next uh, story, here is uh, just some information um, uh, about Feisty Spices. So to date, uh, they have almost sold one million bottles. Ooh. That 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 is that is. Amazing, uh, and and they have uh, premium uh, blends made fresh. Uh, they have awesome. the uh, uh, Cajun bounce seasoning. Uh, they have the um, caramel. Um, oop, uh, yep. They man, it's going fast. They got uh, the Jamaican curry on there. Yes, they have uh, the oxtail seasoning. Something yes, else they that, do. that I am going to try. Uh, French toast brunch, uh, as well as a uh, chicken wing combo pack. And, and a bacon a cheeseburger. And a slew of pop, uh, popcorn toppers, popcorn toppings, which popcorn toppings, <laughs> um, which I am very excited to try. They have honey butter. That sounds just mm, delicious. Right. Yes, it does. Um, they have, oh, they also have Taco Tuesday seasoning because I'm a big taco fan. Mm. They also have um, bacon cheeseburger fry seasoning for the fries, apparently. Um, yeah, I'm going to get all of it. I'm just going to get all of it and just <laughs> call it a day, you know. And again, that is uh, spicy, uh, feisty spices. Um, and this is what I say, people trust them, their dopeness. That's right. Yeah. Let's That's get to right. our next story. And our fourth story here, it's uh, taking us to Pennsylvania. Our last two stories are actually going to be Pennsylvania-based. Uh, this one hits hit, hit me a little hard. Uh, so, after being bullied, a Philadelphia student was threatened with deportation by his principal. Uh, oh this comes goodness. out of the Philadelphia Inquirer. So when Leslie Hernandez's son experienced bullying at his Philadelphia public school, he asked his mother, who will protect me? Go to the principal, she told her son. The family of immigrants from El Salvador seeking asylum in the United States were new to the city, but Hernandez believed her child would get help at Taggart Elementary, his school at 4th and Porter Streets in South Philadelphia. Instead, the principal asked the boy what his immigration status was. Then the principal said if he did not behave, the principal would call ICE and deport all of his family. And this is according to Hernandez. And eventually, Hernandez, with the help of advocates, sent a demand letter to the Philadelphia School District, which avoided litigation by entering into a settlement with Hernandez this month, agreeing to more training for staff, a mandated social-emotional curriculum for student district-wide, and an outside review of the district's harassment and, disc mm. and discrimination policies. Mm. Hernandez hopes that her fight keeps any other families from going through what hers has endured. But she still worries for her son. The effects of the bullying and the principal's threat still linger. His physical injuries disappeared and healed, Hernandez said through an interpreter. But he carries scars that I can't heal that can't be healed. That's right. Uh, so going to um, uh, put it, uh, uh, put a pin in it right there and get to this commentary because she's she's absolutely right yeah she's you, right. You, you know um and and I, i'm not one to, to 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 clamor and to ask for somebody's job and, and say that oh, i want the head somebody's want user job but but yeah like this this is you're like, the leader of the school yes this, this what kind of example are you setting for every other black and brown kid in that school this is harassment this is bullying coming from the principal. The principal. I want his head on. I want his yes, head. Yes. I want his whole job. Yes. Nope. Because and I, you got to get out of there. Because is this the example you're setting for these? Right. This is what you're doing. It's it's. Uh, I have so much to say. Let me calm down. <laughs> this is this is who this man is. Who this person Period. is behind closed That's doors. Right. That's right. You know, and, and and they were exposed. And it's it's the privilege to think that this child. Wouldn't go back to a child. Tell their parents this, and the privilege to think that nothing a child is going to happen to you. Like this, th this child was take is is here because of a bad situation in El Salvador, and a now child. you threaten them mm -hmm. with, oh, if you don't hush up, 
I'm going to basically send you back. Why? 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 Clear. It's a clear um, taking advantage of the the child's migration yes, status. Yes, absolutely. A, uh, their minority status and their language status, right? Yes. Because I'm sure they thought erroneously that this child would not be able to communicate what happened to them. Yes. Which is just a huge. It's a. It's thinking that people who don't speak English are not. Intelligent. It's right. thinking people don't have awareness about them and can understand what's going on around them, which is just a huge, it's a huge fallacy. And it is racist. Let's just call it what it is. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and it says here that um, her son spoke only Spanish, but was placed in a traditional eighth grade class with inadequate English language learner supports. Of course. That meant he could not understand what was happening in class. Uh, this is coming from her, her um, his, his mother and said that he quickly fell victim to bullying, which began as teasing based on the boy's inability to speak English and on his perceived sexual orientation. Mm. Classmates made him take off his shoes and run around a track. Her son was also bullied to the point that he started going late to school so he wouldn't have to be in the schoolyard. Wow. And in February 2022, Hernandez's son asked what to do, and she told him to go to the principal because <laughs> she's responsible for the safety and security of all students. That's correct. Is responsible. And um, on February 28, 2022, Taggart Interim Principal Charlotte well, now see, uh, called Hernandez's son and the students who bullied him into the school office with two other adults present. But now see chastised both students and asked, are these two legal or illegal? <laughs> it don't matter if they're in your school, in your classroom. What does that matter? What does it matter? I what does it. it matter? I hate, I hate the whole thing. Um, um, and when people say and when people say when people re- refer to these things and reference them, as reasons why, you know, things are awry in schools, people will just tell you it's a one-off. It's not, you right. know, everywhere's not like that. Not all schools <laughs> or not all whatever. And I just, yeah. And the <laughs> thing is, can't. she, she like, like, and, and, and for you to listener, when we're calling for this person's job, it's not emotionally filled. This person no. broke the law, the law. Mm-hmm. Her, her actions violated the sanctuary schools policy mm. and and also violated uh, federal educational privacy laws. Look at that. Um, so and and, um, and and then to take it a step further, she did not take any action on the bullying. So, so you just added to the bull- bullying and didn't take any action. Yep. On the bullying. Oh, that's so professional. And then the mm. bullying escalated. Of course it did. On March 22nd. 2022 he was pushed up against the wall and kicked repeatedly in the head in the head he was not treated by the school nurse and hernandez was not offered an interpreter to help understand what had happened that's stunning this it's stunning that she still has a job like how does this person have their job still now that's what i want to know yes exactly um so and it's and just the amount this is we are at the end of 2023 so think of the amount of time this person has gone without being addressed on this terrible you need even we're not even saying punished yet right the terrible behavior has not been addressed for the principal yeah how how do y'all what march 2022 the, the child was kicked in the head repeatedly yeah and yeah. it is almost, when did the story come out? Last week? It yeah. is December 2022, 2023. Three? Yeah. That's, that's unconscionable. Yeah. Yeah. I just. And the legal uh, uh, settlement finalized December 4th and awards Hernandez damages, which she uh, and lawyers declined to name. But the money is secondary to her. Uh, she said that uh, she and her son want their distress to prevent other families yes. from being treated. And she says that we are just one of many cases. Mm-hmm. That is. And people throw money at a lot of situations. Yeah. But that is not the only thing that should happen. Right. Um, I, it reminds me of a case that we have here in, in Dauphin County at the jail where Ishmael um, was, he was uh, suffocated with a spit bag. Mm. This was you in 2022, I believe. And um, 
they just awarded his family $4.25 million. And it is the largest settlement the county has had to pay out. And it's the largest, it, the settlement is so large that it's more than like 12 to 15 cases combined in the last four years. Sheesh. Um, however, the county does not have to take any liability at all. They don't have to claim any wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And as a part of the settlement, they get to destroy the evidence of what happened. And that's probably what they really wanted to do. It's not about the money. Right. It's not always about the money. I'm glad the families, they need their money plus. Right. But it's not just the money, right? These people, these these folks can throw money at these situations. Um, it's 300 and some dollars, 300 and some thousand dollars coming out of, of taxpayer pockets mm-hmm. as like basically the, the um, the what do you call that? The, the, the. So it's if it's insurance, it's the like I, I don't know, call it copay or whatever, um, and then that other money comes out of an insurance fund. Mm. Um, but that leaves the 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 county open to huge liabilities, just like it's going to leave the school district open to huge liabilities. It's Indeed. not different, but people think money cures everything. It doesn't. Yeah. We got to get to the root of these problems. Indeed, indeed, and we're going to get to the roots of our program (laughs) with our fifth and final story. So our fifth and final story, we're staying on PenLive.com. Uh, where we see that the Senate passes a bill mandating armed school security officers in Pennsylvania schools. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, send me an email and let me know. Uh, the state Senate approved the bill on Wednesday requiring public school districts to have at least one full-time armed security officer on duty oh during school hours to enhance protection of students and staff. Lawmakers voted 30 to 19 along near-party lines to advance legislation that would make this a requirement starting in 2024-2025 <sighs> school year. The bill, sponsored by Senator Mike Regan, who is Republican from Cumberland and York counties, now goes to the Democratic-controlled House for consideration. Governor Josh Shapiro is opposed to the measure, according to his spokesman, Manuel Bonder. Regan's bill initially required schools to hire a trained armed school police officer, school resource officer or school security guard for every school building and phased in the mandate over the next three years. Mm. But criticisms about costs and concerns about finding trained officers to fill the positions led him to agree to scale back the measure to require at least one officer in every district to take a step forward rather than remain stagnant and complacent with current security levels. The proposed mandate would allow uh, would, would apply to intermediate units, career and technical schools, charter schools and private residential rehabilitation institutions as well. It would leave it up to the school's discretion whether an officer would be an extracurricular would be at extracurricular activities. It also allows school entities to apply to the Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency for a waiver from the mandate if they are unable to fill the position after making a good faith effort. Mm-hmm. Whoo! Um, I will say this. I have two daughters that 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 I love very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and I would want them to be protected um, when when they are in in school. I just don't know if this is the the option. I, I don't know if if this is the way to have to have a armed person um, roam roam the hallways. Nope. You know, um, I can't sit here and say that that would make me feel more comfortable. Mm-mm. You know, yes, yes, there's still the probability um, um, of of a uh, mass shooting to happen at at said schools. Yes, there's that probability. But now there's also the probability that this person is just going to snap. Wow. You know, uh, who 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 who's going to stop the person that is supposed to protect us? You, you know, yes. um, that that is that is now openly actively putting a person with a weapon on the school of these children. Yes. And and I I just think that it, it's like, OK, we're going to bring this bazooka 
to get the fly out of the house. Mm. You know, um, it, 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 it just seems like it, it's just an overreaction um, to to uh, what the situation really needs to be yep. about, which I believe is mental health and gun control. Of course. What say you? So Regan's initial reason, he's been bringing versions of this bill since 2012. Mm. So he's been bringing, since Sandy Hook, basically. Yeah. He's been bringing versions of this bill, versions of this bill. And um, what is funny, funny, weird, not funny, ha-ha, is that it is these, these school he he's trying to use this idea of school shootings and school shootings and stuff like we need to protect against school shootings protect the students and the staff because my first question is always protect the students and the staff from what yeah so protect them from school shootings is the is the reason why he's been bringing these bills since for the last 11 years mm-hmm. um however if we look at some of the um school shootings across the country police in some instances ran away yeah. From the, 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 the threat. Yeah. In other instances, um, they not only did they not help, um, but in some situations they made the situation worse. worse. Yeah. So I'm I need to know um, what what kind of data are you basing having these officers in the schools in? Yeah. And we already know that police treat black and brown bodies different ways. So I'm thinking of several school districts in our region who host a, a, a significant number of black and brown children. How will they be treated by these resource officers? Yeah. And how will they be trained? Right. Because bringing, bringing, up, bringing police armed guards into school when school shootings aren't happening every day, what else are they doing yeah. after that? Who else will they be patrolling? Who else will they be... Will they be targeting is my question, because let's say we have a school shooting in Pennsylvania tomorrow. Let's say that happens. Right. This is going to bolster his cause. This is going to bolster the idea. People are going to be pressured on this. But what other factors are you all considering besides school shootings? What other factors are you considering? Are you all considering how black and bodies are treated? Black and brown bodies are treated in places like schools. Are you considering the other mitigating factors that students are dealing with that may cause them to act out. They're not, they may not be shooting, but they may be acting out in different ways that signal that they need, like you said, mental health um, support and academic support. What other considerations? How is, a, how is an armed officer, a school resource officer, different than a regular old police officer on the street? Should they be different? The answer for me is always absolutely yes, yeah. because you have to be trained to treat children differently than you do grown adults. And what does that mean? And how are those people trained? And scaling it up to one resource officer per one armed resource officer per school district does what? What does it do? What? <laughs> there are 22 schools. Is that like, no, there's, yeah, or, or so in our district that mm-hmm. this could apply to and intermediate units. Yeah. How does this help them? If this person is experienced, if there's a school shooting being experienced across the district and this office, the resource officer is on the other side of the district, how it does help. it protect anyone? Right. How does it protect anybody? And so I think the the fanaticism around more police, even in the form of, of, of school resource officers, is not only is it overblown, but it is dangerous, mm. in my opinion. Indeed, indeed. And a uh, Franklin and Marshall College poll released in October found 69% of voters uh, favor requiring school districts to put an armed officer uh, in every school. And 73 uh, saw it was a way to make schools uh, safer. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, I am I'm going to keep you all abreast on this debate, um, especially as as this heads to the House. Uh, just to give you some other uh, statistics on this thing. Uh, the Senate Appropriations Committee estimates the cost of an armed guard at $115,000 annually for salary, benefits, equipment, and training costs. Times 500 school districts. 501, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The state would pick up a portion of their pension 
uh, contribution and Social Security costs estimated to be $16,000 per officer with districts left to cover the rest of the bill. Uh, Reagan said the state has provided schools with $800 million since 2018 to afford enhanced school security measures. But unfortunately, not all schools have been willing to take the steps to utilize that funding for armed personnel, even while every expert on the topic espouses that it is virtually necessary. Uh, So, folks, we are going to put a pin in it right there. I want to thank you for joining us on the Melanin Report. This has been uh, glorious. This has been fantastic. (laughs) This has been marvelous. Uh, Fantastic. uh, Yes, I hope you, the the listener, was able to uh, um, pick up what uh, Dr. K was putting down. Always, always, always bringing the greatness, regardless of, of leg day. Leg day. <laughs> My legs hurt, y'all. Shout out to Claudia Kenya at Capital Punishment Boxing Gym, but oh. I don't really like him right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, any uh, church announcements? Church announcements. Yes. Um, so, uh, it's the holiday time. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be looking forward to wonderful holiday events um, for the YPOC and for just in the community in general. Um, we had a little snafu with our um, writers reminisce for the Black News Beat. So we're going to be doing it over. Another one. Um, another one. It was so good, though. <laughs> yes, it was. It was so beautiful. Yes. Y'all yes. really talked about the show like it was a real thing. And it makes me feel like y'all really actually like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be shooting our writers reminisce over. And I actually talked to the folks and we're probably going to do it in that really cool space. We discussed. Ooh, Stay tuned for that. Yes. Um, and so and then also we have holiday things coming up. Right. It's the holidays. And then the next time we're together. It's going to be the week before Christmas. Mm, um, yeah. If we do it that week, I don't know. Um, but um, we should because there's lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. Um, and then I just also want everyone to stay tuned for all the, the Black News Brief 2023, YPOC 2023, Juneteenth 2023. Or, I'm sorry, I'm saying 2024. 24, yeah. Um, because it's the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. It is going to be the third Monday of December when, when, when you guys hear this. Yeah. Um, so... I'm excited about all the cool things we have coming up. We have some retreats coming up um, where we're going to be internally reformulating a whole bunch of stuff um, so that we can get together uh, and, and bring you some amazing things for 2024. Um, and I'm just really excited about how great the kickoff went last night. Yes. Yes, that indeed. kickoff was great. I think people – I was ner- I was so nervous. Really? Yes. I – stressed out all week about that kickoff really Um, and then having so many people come out people were really impressed with the location yes the food and everything indeed and of course the presentation so i think um yeah i stressed out i stressed Uh. out i I didn't finish that report till 2 15 okay Um. (laughs) yesterday um, so there's so many that things, was smooth. right? Okay. <laughs> that so, was smooth, um, yeah. But if you're interested in joining us for any of that, YPOC.org, it has Black News Beat, it has all the YPOC happenings, that's Juneteenth up there, so YPOC.org, join us for any of the big things. Listen, we'll bring you into a great concert next year, so, next year, so y'all need to be there. Um, those are the church announcements. Um, besides my legs hurting, everything <laughs> else is going amazing. <laughs> oh, that is that is great to hear. So, so yeah. uh, we're going to end the show on this quote uh, by Maya Angelou. Mm. Uh, make every effort to change things you do not like. If you cannot make a change, change the way you have been thinking. You might find a new solution. Mm. And on that note, I am Marquise Lupton. This is... The Melanin Report. Trust your dopeness. Enjoy these tunes and we'll see you on the other side. Peace.
switch it up, do you think? Baby, just take your time. I'm looking for perfection, cause this is a private session. And the way that I kiss your body, girl, it's more than just baby. I'm going down, 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 girl. Kissing all around your crown, girl. Feeling the taste of heaven, you just got me sprung, girl. From the bed to the Let me see you wind it, girl Go ahead, take it to the floor Your body's what I'm searching for uh, Go ahead, ride this pony I can't wait till I taste your body I want you riding like a Bugatti Cause the way you work the pole, girl You got me going, girl The whole place looking like a tsunami uh, Touch me, I can need you The whole place got a clear view I don't need to tease you I just need you to do this thing, girl So what you drop down, right like